Welcome to the Farm Bits Podcast, a product of Nebraska Extension Digital Agriculture. I'm Jackson Stansel. And I'm Samantha Teton. And we come to you each week to discuss the trends, the realities, and the value of digital agriculture. Through interviews and panels with experts, producers, and innovators from all sectors of digital technology, we hope that you step away from each episode with new practical knowledge of digital agriculture technology. Welcome back to the Farm Bits podcast for the first episode in our planting technology series. It's been a while since we did a farmer focus episode, and it's something we've been looking forward to doing since our harvest series. We wanted to lead this series off with a farmer's perspective to provide a well-rounded understanding of the complexity of planting operations. Our guest for this episode is Don Beatty. Don Beatty farms with his wife, Barb, near Lexington, Nebraska, and operates a primarily irrigated operation focusing on corn and soybeans. As an avid participant in the Nebraska On-Farm Research Network, Don has experimented with several planting technologies and seed management practices in an effort to continually improve his operation. In this episode, we will get into the results that he has seen from those experiments, as well as his perspectives on planting, the challenges that he faces, and the things that he's most excited about in the future of ag. With that said, here's our interview with Don Beatty. So we're, we're kind of getting into uh, planting in this particular series. And so uh, we were hoping to talk to you a little bit about that part of your operation today. And I guess to kick mm-hmm. that off, what are some of your biggest priorities when you get into planting season and, and, you know, how does setting these priorities help you to achieve what you want to on your farm? Well, the, the, the planner is, I mean, that if you screw up planning, you screwed up the whole year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, we try to be as careful as we can about um, getting the planner. First of all, it, that it's in tip top shape before we start planning. Um, normally I actually have our dealer go through a lot and uh, find things. So he usually finds things that I miss. And so um, he goes through and we get all the mechanical parts right. And then when we actually start planning, the first thing we want to make sure the soil is in the right condition. Um, can't go out there and plant too wet. Um, you don't want to have too many weeds, uh, too much uh, residue in the wrong spots. So that's part of it. And then we, you know, getting the seed the right depth, the right spacing. And so uh, we try to pay a lot of attention to that. So uh, I guess, you know, you mentioned the the mechanical side of that. How, how much does getting that, that mechanization figured out early on in the process really impact how you're able to do that over the entire course of your, your planting operations? Oh, we found if, if, if we don't do a good job before we start planting, all we're doing all year long is fixing. Mm-hmm. And so we spend a little bit more money usually. Um, we repair parts that look like they might fail. Um, anything that's close, we go ahead and replace. Um, certain items are on a schedule. You know, every two years, these discs get replaced. Every two years, this gets replaced, um, yep. no matter what, because we just see a better job of it. Um, so that's the base planner. And then um, we've also done like every other farmer, I think, I don't think there's a base planner out in the field. Everybody makes neural modifications to planners. Yeah. So what are your biggest challenges uh, when it comes to the planting season? It sounds like you're trying to prevent some of those challenges with these things, but what do you run into? The biggest, biggest challenge we have is especially in a wet spring, um, finding the fields that are ready to plant. Um, And so sometimes uh, we'll be planting along and we'll get rained out. Well, the seed we have in the planter 
doesn't fit the field that the next field that's ready. So you either you switch hybrids or you empty boxes and reload boxes. Um, and that's you have to be somewhat flexible because um, conditions change. Uh, you get a rain event uh, um, or snow event, and you have to be able to move and start planting somewhere else and not try to finish a field up just because you started it because that field isn't ready. Sure. And so I think you, that's probably our biggest challenge is just making, you know, trying to keep what our plan is, is we have, we plan out where all of our hybrids are going to go. And uh, um, like anything else, once you get into the season, the plan doesn't always come to fruition. You know, yeah. you have to be somewhat flexible and willing to make some changes. What technologies have you implemented in your operation or data that you're collecting that can help overcome some of these challenges? Uh, we collect a lot of information and technology. Um, we've been starting with my dad that we were always an early adopter of technology. Um, way before your time, you youngsters. <laughs> uh, we bought uh, from Hineker um, a monitors that we could actually regulate how much anhydrous ammonia was applied. This is clear back in the uh, 1980s, 1990s. Hmm. And so um, dad was a firm believer of that. And we always tried to keep up with new technology. Uh, we were early adopters of ridge planting. Currently, um, in this last year, we renovated our planner. Uh, we have a case planner, stack fold planner. It's about six years old, but we um, added the ag leader hydraulic up down pressure and electric seed drives to that mm -hmm. and uh, got rid of a lot of equipment a lot of headaches and that that was a little nervous we first went to the field with all <laughs> this new stuff um, I have a full-time employee and he does the planting and he was like you've got to be here because I'm not sure how all this stuff's supposed to work <laughs> um, he had actually had a hip replaced, and so he was not able to work with me re-renovating the planter. He was on sick leave, and mm -hmm. so I did all the planter work while he was uh, not able to help. And so he's like, help? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it worked pretty flawlessly. We were very, very impressed. Awesome. So I guess in addition to that, you can talk about any other technologies you want to, but I I'm really interested in how you decide to bring on a technology? Like how, how did you decide that you wanted to go put this hydraulic downforce? I mean, is it mm -hmm. research? Is it just investigation? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, do a lot of research um, and look at studies, both university studies as well as industry studies and uh, talked with neighbors. And I think to me, this hydraulic down pressure and in our case, actually a lot of it's uplift. Um, probably has the potential of being a, one of the easiest paybacks of technology. Um, and we did a study in 2020, and we're gonna repeat it in 2021 as part of the on-farm research using this technology. But uh, we discovered that we were actually putting way more down pressure on the rows with the old technology, with our airbags we had before, than what is needed. Mm -hmm. And in dry soil, that's not an issue, but when you get to wet soils, you're going to get some compaction. You're going to get uh, some maybe smearing of the seed trench. Uh, you're going to have some root pruning because of that. And I think the payback for the, that 
technology is going to be pretty easy to come up with. Some of the other so, technologies we do probably is a little harder to get a payback on. Yeah. Um, but there's also a lot of creature comforts. Um, we've had auto spearing for 10 years and uh, it's a lot easier to farm, honestly. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's actually fun to do now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and diving into that study a little bit more with the downforce, I, if I remember correctly, the yield just in this one year wasn't as black and white as you would think of, yes, this should be adopted. Can you talk about, mm -hmm. you know, you talked about some of these things that you're looking for, but how else are you evaluating some of these technologies, even if they don't show a return, maybe that first year? Well, first of all, I think you have to do several years of studies because we all know every year is different. And mm -hmm. this field we did the study in last year actually was and um, pretty dry. And so I don't think we had the compaction issues. We had some other fields that was not part of the study that are wet. And we definitely saw a difference mm -hmm. in those fields um, by able to basically felt like we we're floating the planter across some uh, fairly wet fields. And so I think it's just, and you know, who knows what this spring is going to bring. That's why we <laughs> replicate our trials um, too. Otherwise, I, um, I think we actually had a better stand and it was, it's hard to compare because it's comparing years, but looking at the stands we've had in the, the old system compared to this system, we had a better stand this year, um, more even just, uh, mm -hmm. stand, even though the, the actual planning units hadn't changed, but having electric motors on it and having the correct down pressure, I think we actually ended up with a better stand. Sure. And some of that you don't really see on a study because I didn't just renovate half a planter. I just, you know, did the whole mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. And then so, the other part of that study, they also did a speed trial. Um, and this was not my idea. This was the idea of Ag Leader. Um, hmm. And to their opinion, they have seen with the hydraulic down pressure and the electric seed drives, electric motors, uh -huh. that you could actually plant at a higher speed and still maintain good um, space, seed spacing and depth. And it did show that the, we went up to, we had five, seven and 10 mile an hour uh, passes. And the seven mile an hour performed, actually yielded a little better than the five. We don't know why, um, <laughs> but it's, it stand was very similar. The 10 mile an hour was definitely too fast. We were leaving seeds on the top of the ground and, uh, and, and they knew it was too fast. But yeah. they wanted to have one at the end showing that, yes, there is a limit to how fast you can go with a stock planter. Sure, hmm. sure. Do you think that, do you think any of that has to do with the fact that the planter itself is not necessarily specialized for high speed planting? Or, right. Yeah. yeah. This, this okay. is a, not a specialized high speed planter. Um, okay. This was a stock seed drives, uh, just the meters, and then we had the yeah. electric drives on top of it. So we're going to repeat that this year, except we're going to back that 10 off to nine. Okay. And just kind of uh, figure out where that limit really is. Figure out where that limit is. But um, as a result, we actually did plant the rest of our crops at a higher speed than we normally do because we could tell when we were planting and doing, we were digging up seeds and stuff. And the spacing and the depth at seven was just as good as it was at five, which shocked us because that never was the case before. Hmm. Huh. So do you think that's going to be a pretty big impact on your operation long term, realizing that you can do that a little bit faster? I think so. I mean, I, I still, we won't push that too much unless there's a rain cloud coming. 
And sure. you know, then that bottle <laughs> may just get bumped up a little bit, but knowing we have that ability. So I think it has an impact. Um, and again, how do you modify it? You know, monetize that, I don't know, but uh, it is a benefit. Can you also talk about some of your other studies? So I think you've been involved <laughs> with some uh, some of the different planting rate. I'm sure you do some hybrid uh, testing. Can you go into some of those? Yeah, I've, I've done a lot uh, <laughs> with on-farm research. Um, our local extension educator, Sarah Sibbets, I, I keep asking her, is this too many? <laughs> no, no, this is fun. And so, uh, yeah, we did the two with the egg leader on the planter. We did two other studies this last year using um, fertilizer. Um, Nutrien has a more available phosphorus fertilizer than 1034-0. And so we're doing a three-year study on that using the same strips with the same fertilizers for three years in a row. We're soil testing each strip, trying to find out what it's doing with the soils as well as what the yields do. Um, they're their claim is that you need to use one third as many gallons. So if your normal fertilizer rate would be 15 gallons of 1034O, you'd only put on five gallons of their product. Hmm. Of course, it costs three times as much so that the dollars <laughs> are equal. It's not cost you yeah. more, but they're saying it's more available. And so that's what we're, that's a study. Uh, another study is on manganese. Um, this is from our agronomist. He uh, um, has been reading some literature that he, feels that we need to have our soil manganese levels somewhere in the 20 parts per million range. And we're sitting at about seven to eight. Currently, University of Nebraska has no recommendations for manganese. And so this is, again, a long-term study trying to find out if we add manganese in this, in, at planting time, will it raise the soil levels and will it impact yield? Mm -hmm. um, we just, one year into it, this year was no, no difference so far. Sure. Um, the other study I've been done with uh, Dr. Joe Luck for two years on a soybean population study, um, one of his where he has replicated blocks scattered throughout the field. Um, and that has been very interesting to do. We run at um, 80 to 170,000. We want 80, 110, 140, and 170,000 seeds per acre drop. And uh, the results from the 2020 study showed that we have flat yield. It didn't matter what we dropped pop, uh, seed at, we had the same exact yield. And we had two different varieties of soybeans in that study, and, it, and they both were the same. It didn't matter huh. what seed you dropped. Um, and that actually started two years ago. We had a field that we had some crusting on. And we actually had our plants were somewhere in the 60,000 plants per acre was all we had survive. And, but it was even spacing. And so the agronomist and I decided, well, let's leave it, see what happens. <laughs> and at harvest, when we were getting to those thin spots, I was looking at the combine monitor, it was still yielding over 75 bushels the acre oh. with very low population. So it's like, how low can we go? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that's why we started the study with with Dr. Luck, and uh, and it's been very interesting. Uh, soybeans will uh, definitely recoup a lot more. Yeah, I'd say that range then, might be more than what some people are comfortable with. How did you handle like taking that risk? Yeah. Oh, I, to me, it wasn't that big of a risk since I'd seen it accidentally the first year. I knew what beans to do, and I actually actually pushed 
Dr. Luck to go a little lower than 80,000 and he didn't want to go there. Um, I thought, let's go to 60. Let's try it down there. Well, he didn't want to go that low. And so uh, we went to 80 and it was kind of fun because um, seed dealers and agronomists and stuff have been out in my fields. They, they come out and look, walk around with me. And we get to those plots where there's only 80,000 dropped and the stems, the sleevings are huge. Um, and we discovered there's a lot less lodging. They don't blow over because their their stems are you know twice, maybe three times the diameter of a normal soybean stem. Hmm. Yeah. And it's not uncommon to find a plant with 200, 250 pods on it per plant. Hmm. <laughs> it just branches out and it fills the space up that it has. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very comfortable. We've we've been planting everything at 120,000. Uh, we may drop to 110,000 this year. Um, everybody's happy about it except the seed dealers. They don't like it. So <laughs> don't seed. Um, and we've had good weed control, so that's not been an issue. That's good too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how do you come up with the ideas for what exactly it is that you want to study? I mean, I, we, you know, here it was like kind of an accidental deal, right? That you came across in the field, but how do you come up with like the technology you want to test? Um, there's a lot of ways. Um, I, I, tend to be fairly active in social media and uh, a lot on Twitter and Facebook, but a lot of Twitter friends across the country and across the world uh, that are involved in ag. And there, there's different ideas. There's some, I have a lot of friends who think outside the box and we have a lot of conversations and it's like, well, what would happen if we do X, Y, or Z or mm -hmm. something like that? Um, same thing with my agronomist. We sit down in the winter and usually have spend an afternoon just talking about where can we make a change? How can we how can we get same yield with less inputs or increase our yield with the same input? You know, how do we get better? As well as we're always trying to keep improving our soil. Um, you know, we're we're not trying to mine the soil, we're trying to always leave it better than it was the year before. So a lot of us just talking to people. Um, and some people come up with ideas, but they don't want to try them. Hey, let's try them. Um, I'm always game for a good experiment. Um, we've got a couple of new ones we're gonna try this year. Um, one's in the works now, we're doing a cover crop. Um, my, my local agronomist, he was, always likes wheat for a cover crop. Hmm. Whereas the university and many others want cereal rye. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so we have a cereal rye and wheat in strips and wheat in strips. And we're gonna do that, see how much growth we get, how much yield we'll have on the corn crop following, et cetera. So you're doing all these studies and some people may not be willing to test it on their own farm. How are you <laughs> like, I just love how you're willing to share this. I mean, you talk about how you're active on social media, you're active on the on-farm research network. Why is that such an important thing to you to share what you're finding out on your operation? That's a great question. Um, I think it's partially is that I don't think any one of us know all the answers. And also, I can share what works on my farm, and it may not work on someone in Illinois' farm, but it may give them an idea how to do something different on their farm. And honestly, it's um, anything we can do as an industry to continue to increase our yields and continue to decrease how much inputs we have to use to grit those yields. That's a good thing. And so I'm all for um, helping out and doing research. 
And I'm working with the on-farm research university. It's been great because um, being able to be, have contact with the extension educators, um, crop specialists, um, they have a lot of expertise to add and they do a lot of the statistical analysis that I won't do, quite frankly. That's, <laughs> I look at it, I go back, go nuts. And I know it's red since you do that a lot. Oh yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm glad that they're willing to do the analysis to find out whether it actually was a true result or if it was just an accidental which is why I like using the on-farm research. But yeah, I, I have, um, I've told other people that I don't have any secrets in the farm. I really don't. Um, if you want to know what I'm doing, fine, you can come visit me and we'll talk about it. But, you know, I know I've been on other farms. I know that what works here won't work up in Northeast Nebraska, won't work in Southwest Nebraska. Uh, we have different climates, different soils. Mm -hmm. And even from where I live to, just across what we farm, we have to farm different places differently because the soils are so different. Yeah. And so you have to know what works on, on each piece. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, you, I mean, you've talked about these studies, right? And there's a lot of data that goes into these studies, but I assume you're also collecting data just on your general planting operation and, you know, how you're doing there. I mean, how do you go about evaluating that? It's a, it's a lot to, to really take in. It is. And, and, um, you can delve into the numbers as much as you want. Um, I do own um, SMS advanced. And so any of the, all the data that we collect out of the planter through the monitors goes in and we look at, you know, was, were we getting the population that we wanted? Um, were we getting the, you know, and also we go, did we get the right seed in the right place? Did we get the right population on it? Um, do we get the, the fertilizer on we we're supposed to? Because we do put some fertilizer on with the planter. Um, and then there is a lot of just digging on the soil too, just checking out, did it work? Um, yeah. Did we get stands and so forth? Yeah. And I don't know, analyzing it, I don't know how you analyze except you just kind of look to see what you've got done and what, what worked and sure. what didn't work. I, I guess one, so th this just popped in my head as you were talking, have you ever come across any point in time where you've been able to identify like a machine failure or anything like that, that happened by looking at, at some of that data? I don't know. Oh, uh, we've, I've definitely found spots where we've had, um, like starter fertilizer pump quit, or we didn't get that on. And by then we were able to go in and, um, recover that with doing some side dress fertilizer we could rep replicate or put back what should have been a planning time we've had a couple of those instances where we saw had a mechanical failure um some cases the operator knows it and some cases it doesn't you know things okay. things happen and um, so that's why we do collect the data and, and look at it but honestly we've had a lot less failures uh, with with advanced electronics now you know what's going on on the cab um, mm -hmm. where um, back when i first started planning you know planner had a chain drive on each row had its own chain drive and if a chain fell off you wouldn't <laughs> know it you went back to fill up a seat yeah yeah and so then you'd have to go back and replant all of that mm. <laughs> because you didn't know when you quit planting seed um, right. technology is um like I say, it's, it's come a long ways. It's some ways it's made things easier. In some ways it's made things harder <laughs> because there's nothing worse than sitting on a beautiful 
sunny spring day and you're not in the field because you got a wire broke on that planter somewhere mm. and you yeah. can't find yeah. it and you can't do a thing until you find that wire. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a pain. <laughs> that's a pain. And that's happened. Um, you just one little wire somewhere that's broke and the whole planter shuts down and you can't do anything until you find mm. the short and fix it. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to a little bit of like the softwares that you use, or mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about how you go about making planting prescriptions or what kind of data you use to inform those prescriptions? Like sure. um, I we use SMS um, and uh, we've been collecting yield data since 2007. And so I have quite a da- uh, history of yield data we use. And so using, um, and again, I, part of this is from being taught by the university, um, but we clean the data up and uh, do a multi-year analysis over the harvest data. And then we cluster the uh, results. And so a typical will have three to four population ranges in a field um, based on the past history of yields. Mm-hmm. And um, the higher yielding areas get more seed and get more fertilizer. The lower yielding areas get less seed and less fertilizer. And so then we develop uh, prescription maps uh, based on that for both seed and fertilizer. Um, we keep the fertilizer steady, uh, flat rate in the spring. We strip till as well as planting, but then the side dress is when we do the modification of the fertilizer. The sure. high yielding areas get more fertilizer and side dress. Sure. So when you, I guess, when you choose to implement this variable rate seeding, I mean, have you found fields that it really pays on and then other fields where, you know, you tried it and maybe it didn't pay on? I mean, we have fields that we don't even, we just flat rate it um, because it does, there's not enough variation in the field. Um, Some of our fields have extensive soil types, uh, variations, or um, in some cases it's elevation. We've got um, some high water tables. And so there's certain parts of the fields that um, be, just because of the lower part of the field, we sometimes don't even get them planted. If we get it planted, we don't be able to get much growth. So we don't put a lot of um, you know, fertilizer out, if any, um, and not sure. a lot of seed because we know it's not going to yield much anyhow. Yep. Um, but generally, we most of our fields we found are that there is you know, better ground and poorer ground. And you can talk to any farmer and they'll tell you where the good ground is. We all know where it is in mm-hmm. our heads from yeah. years of farming it. We know where the good stuff is. Um, but the advantage of the technology is that it allows you to precisely figure that out. And then with variable rate, if it's not gonna yield, why put anything out there? Yeah. You know, why put, put 40,000 seeds or 35,000 seeds to the acre if 20,000 will yield just as much? Cut your seed costs in half, cut your fertilizer in half, because um, it's only going to make 130 or 140 bushels. And I've got some ground like that. It doesn't matter what you do; it's not yeah. going to yield. Um, mm-hmm. We tried we tried different things in the past, and it's just some ground just isn't there. So, just one more question on that: When you look, so when you look at a management zone layer. Like, can you basically say right off the bat, whether you say, okay, this is this management zone right here is, is accurate or say like, no, this is not at all matching to what I've seen out there in the field. Yeah, we've had, there are, you, um, that's one thing I've discovered is that after I create the maps using SMS, I go in and, and 
adjust because okay. there's yeah. some areas that I know okay, that's that's not that's the there's reason it's low is because <laughs> we had a wipeout or so or we had a disaster yeah. or something else that was not the soil's fault and so yeah I do go in and adjust fields yeah um, adjust zones um, because every and every field we we tweak and adjust just because we know that and then again we you know every hybrid has different populations it wants to be planted at as well and so that's why we do a hybrid plan and then we set the populations up according to the hybrids going in the field because we have some hybrids that don't want to be planted any higher than thirty thousand seeds to the acre we have some hybrids that won't they need to be at 35. Sure. and so um we develop different pop or prescriptions based on what's going in there and then if we have to change hybrids because of weather or something else then i have to come back in and rewrite new prescriptions and yeah. uh, that happens not fun but it happens sure <laughs> mm -hmm. so i think we've covered a lot of what you're currently doing and it sounds like you are really up on what is going on with technology right now but let's talk a little bit about where you want things to go or maybe like this wish list so what planting technologies could be better suited to your operation yeah, that's that's a tough question. Um, <laughs> that's a really hard question. Um, I don't know. Um, there are some new stuff that's coming out. Uh, the multi-hybrid planters. Mm -hmm. I think that has a place. Could have a place on certain places. Um, I'm not sure how that's going to work. Uh, just I think some of the soil sensing technology um, that possibly is sensing the nutrient levels in the soil as you're planting so that you can develop maps to come back and, and fertilize in the summer or even at mm -hmm. planting time. I think that technology is going to be interesting. And then just going a step beyond what we currently do with auto steer and going to full robotic planting, I mm -hmm. think is the, the next step. Um, I, unfortunately, I've been around electronics long enough. I know that no matter how good they are, they also <laughs> fail. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's the word. That's what reason me about robotics is that when it fails, you know, will it know it stopped, failed, and stop, or you know, how do you fix that? But I think that's probably some of the new stuffs coming in on the line is some like the say some of the robotics. So, have you seen anything? You, you mentioned you're very you know active on social media. Have you seen anything from other people that really has kind of piqued your interest and you're at least thinking about? Uh, testing out a little bit right now uh probably the the biggest one is is all in the range of cover crops and mm -hmm. how to get cover crops in our corn system um, we're currently using cover crops after soybeans um, but our corn harvest is late enough it's hard to plant anything after corn harvest and get a cover crop to to work sure um so there are uh, different ones working on interseeding uh cover crops, um, split row, and maybe a wide row of corn and with cover crops in between. In fact, I was just having a conversation, a neighbor this morning who started doing some interseeding this last year. Hmm. And uh, basically it's a way of getting cover crops growing inside the corn stand without having uh, two part problems, not, not hurting the corn yield, yeah. as well as still um, getting some of the cover crop benefits. Yeah. 
So are there any technologies? I know we've, we've talked about the downforce being a really, you know, huge benefit for your operation, um, mm -hmm. but are there technologies you would also recommend to other growers at least give a shot on their farm? Well, I hate to, you know, um, two way things. I think first of all, a yield monitor is, is essential. Um, you need to be able to measure what we're doing and mm -hmm. having a yield monitor is the first step. Um, the other thing that to me is a, it pays as well as it's good for the environment is some type of monitor on both fertilizer and sprayers to regulate how much we're putting on. Um, we, you need to know, you know, for example, on our sprayer, you know, set, you know, mix your tanks upright. And then if you're putting on 20 gallons the acre, put on 20 gallons the acre, don't put on 15 or don't put on 25. Um, yeah. Same with fertilizer. You need to be able to measure what you're putting on and put the right amount on. Um, I think that those those uh, monitors we've had in our operation a long time, and they paid very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, just a matter of um, getting the right amount of product on the field, both herbicide and fertilizer. And yeah. I wouldn't go without one. Um, <laughs> I really wouldn't. Yeah. Awesome. So that to me, that's a kind of an entry point. Um, and then once you get into planning, um, then there's there's. And there's more technologies out there I know than I'm not doing from other companies. Um, but then it's a matter of what your price point is and what you're comfortable mm -hmm. with. Um, and it's hard. It, it takes a while you know, to make them pay. Um, yeah. And that's, that's my whole thing is to try to um, use that harvest data we've been collecting since 2007 and, and uh, make it pay in our operation. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. If you had one piece of advice, planting or otherwise, to offer to our listeners, what would that be? You know, spend the time to get your plant or crops planted correctly. Um, if you don't get them planted right, you're always fighting at the rest of the season. So, you know, if it's going to take you got to wait another day before you get the corn planted on the field, wait an extra day, you'll be much further ahead. Um, and so, often it's just patience, just. You have to be able to wait, and then when it's right, then you can go like crazy. But <laughs> wait, yep. wait, wait until the field is ready, and uh, because if you get into big of a hurry, you'll you'll cause all kinds of problems that may have impact your field for several years. Yeah, and uh, I I I know this because I've learned it the hard way because <laughs> I've got into a big of a hurry and I've, I've done the mistakes. And uh, that's one of the advantages that I guess being old has. I've been around the farm a couple of times. There you go. Was there anything that we didn't discuss that you think is really pertinent to this discussion? I think the, the one thing I would add and um, whether they want to participate in the on-farm research or just do their own research, but I think everyone needs to do some experimentation on their own farm, um, whether it's just five acre field or 10 acre field, you need to keep trying to do things better. Um, you don't get better if you don't try new things. And, you know, again, what I do on my farm probably won't work on other people's farms, but there's something that you can do in your own farm that get better. And so try it on, take a piece of ground that's away from the road that nobody can see what's going on and go out there and try something crazy and yeah. then, and, and learn from it. And then after you've got it figured out, then you can start doing another piece of the ground. But I would highly encourage all farmers to uh, experiment some. 
say you can read something in the paper, or even what's in the university publications, but your ground is different. Yeah. And it, you probably have to tweak whatever they're doing to make it work on your farm. Yep. And so, so try it. And, and again, I really recommend using the on-farm research because then you get the replicated trials and with that, then you know what statistically is a, um, a good practice or not. Thank you to Don for spending some time with us to discuss his planting operation and technology. It's always great to hear from farmers actually putting these technologies to work versus just the testing side that we typically see <laughs> as graduate students. And so with that, you know, my favorite part was actually hearing about some of those things he's running, but those results and hearing about how excited he is about a lot of those things he's testing out. Yeah, it's cool he's able to actually put some things into practice and, and test how they work on his farm because, you know, as he stated several times, he believes that what works on your ground is almost particular to your ground and has to be tweaked just about anywhere else. Um, mm -hmm. But on the flip side of that coin, I also enjoy hearing about how Don actually gets his ideas of new things to look at um, and how he cultivates his vision for where he wants his operation to go in the future. You know, he said he's very active on social media and, and actually, you know, talks to some friends that he has both here in Nebraska and in the nation, but also internationally. Um, and he gets some of those ideas. So, you know, it's so interesting how even though things are particular to his operation, he can still pull ideas from other folks that are doing cool things. That was interesting. Yeah. So thank you very much for joining us for this first episode of the Farm Bits podcast within the planting technology series. We look forward to you joining us next week as we take a deeper dive into the tech advancements that are pushing planting operations forward with our next guest, Rachel Stevens. Thank you for taking the time to join us today on the Farm Bits podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts to be informed about the latest content each week. We welcome your feedback. So if you have comments or questions for us, please reach out to us over email, on Twitter, or in the review section of your favorite podcast platform. Our contact information can be found in the show notes. We'd like to thank Nebraska Extension for their support of this podcast and their commitment to providing high quality informational material to the members of the agricultural community in Nebraska and beyond. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on this podcast are solely their own and do not reflect reviews of Nebraska Extension or the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We look forward to you joining us next week for another episode of Farm Bits.